Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Home group is uh, canceled. Jonathan's not feeling good, or not Jonathan. Aaron's not feeling well. Jonathan is staying home to take care of her. Um, And uh, as far as the 4th of July, uh, we're going to go to Lisa's and Blaine's house and party over there. So if you want to show up around three, bring whatever and uh, we will have a lot of fun. It'll be good. So we're in Psalms chapter 27. Bring the bathing suit. Bring the... Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, all right. It'll be exciting. So... Psalms 27. Hold on. Back up. Getting there. All right. Well, because this is a psalm with two different sides. The first half deals with uh, the affirming of our faith, and the second half is more of a lament. Uh, There are a couple phrases in verse 4 and 13 that, that tie the psalm together. As far as the occasion that it was written, the Septuagint notes that it was written before he was anointed. Um, and there's some debate on whether that was before uh, Saul's death or after. Um, and it seems to be a good companion with the last few uh, Psalms dealing with the tabernacle and a place of security and a vision to see the face of the Lord. But let's get into it and you'll see where we're going. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? For David, faith is a means to a proper perspective on fear. You know, so often fear can be a healthy thing. We need to have some right fear of some things, but it can also be crippling and paralyzing. And in uh, his book, uh, in the book, The Strong and the Weak, Dr. Turner writes, faith is a perpetual determined returning to God from whom we constantly turn away. And when darkness seems to be closing in, David is looking back to God. He says, I'm struggling. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And he turns his face to God and says, I need to keep my focus in the right place. Despite the anxiety I feel, despite the fear I feel, despite the worry I have, And he trusts him. And this gives us a different response than the flight or fight or flight response of hope. And I think that's important, that we need to turn to God in hope. He is, in this verse, he's the light. He gives us an envisioning of what's really happening. He uh, illuminates the situation so that we can keep a right perspective in the midst of it. Uh, he's our defense and our security. We understand that, that God is is the life of us. 
He provides life. He provides means to everything. And so his desire for us is a renewed life, despite the things that are going on around us. And we can trust him in that, that what he's doing and what he's allowing has a purpose. And in that, we can refocus and say, I trust you despite all of this. The problem with fear is that it's often just that wrong focus. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in Jehovah shall be safe. It's interesting, this fear of man isn't just fear of other people. It's our own fear. As we fear, it becomes a snare in our life. It becomes something that drags us down and and paralyzes us and, and makes us stagnant in our faith. And he says, but the one who trusts in the Lord, he is safe. He has the security. He has a a strength. John 4.16 says that God is love and there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear hath punishment and he that fears is not made perfect in love. You know, we that's our goal. God is moving forward to perfect us in his image. And, and when we're dealing with fear, we're missing the perfection because that's where he wants us to be, to be overcomers. Uh, Martin Luther, in studying Romans 8, said, I've learned that if you fear God, you have no one else to fear. I think that's really important that we all need to grasp. Second Corinthians, actually, Second Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. So the question is, does that mean that as Christians we're never going to be afraid? No. That's that's not what he's saying. And that's not true. But in the midst of that fear, his grace is perfected. He goes on in verse 10 to say, Therefore, I'm well content in my weakness. With insult, distress, persecutions, difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's a great thing to be. When we're weak, that's when he empowers us to do what we need to do. But we have to admit to that, that we are weak. We are unable to deal with it. David goes on, when evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fall. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Through war arise against me, in spite of all this, I should be confident. Why? Why is he going to be confident? Because God is greater than the situation that he's in. He's turned his face to something greater than him. Ultimately, he's in control of it. And his confidence, therefore, is in God and the work that he's doing in us and through us. And that helps us overcome. 
He's shown himself faithful in the past, and so he's going to do it again. And so we can trust that. He goes on, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I should seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And so the question becomes, what are you asking for? When you're struggling, are you seeking the Lord? Are you asking to abide in him, to dwell in him? So often we lose focus that way. And it's interesting here that he not just asks to seek the Lord, but that he pursues or perceives the beauty of the Lord. You know, it's real easy to get distracted and think of God on those terms of, you know, just not really there. We focus on one desire and it's often not the Lord. He says, one desire I have to dwell in the house of the Lord. To meditate and dwell on your beauty. There are three points that are, are important. One is to dwell in the house of the Lord. He points out that his house is to be the house of a prayer. In uh, uh, Jesus points out that my house is a house of prayer, right? When he goes and cleans out the, the temple. And First Thessalonians tells us that we have to be praying without ceasing. So the means to this seeking involves a heart of prayer. And, and often that's when we're having the most difficulties, is when we're not really seeking the Lord. First Thessalonians says we are to pray without ceasing. John 15 says he calls us to abide in him, and he will abide in us. You know, that's the call. The second point is to behold his beauty. Interesting, the RSV, if you have another translation, changes this word to graciousness. I want to see your graciousness. And I think that's an interesting parallel with beauty. That when we see God's grace, we see the beauty of who he is. Because that's what he is. He is love. He is grace to us. And the reality is, we don't see it fully. Second Corinthians says we see dimly. And so often that's the problem. We're seeing things with, with a dim view. The third thing is that we're to meditate or inquire to learn. You know, Jesus said, take my yoke upon me. I'm gentle, meek, and you'll find rest. For us, so often, we forget to take that time to be yoked to him to bind our lives to his. For David, he knows that God is the source. And he finds his confidence in the midst of the struggle, not to, uh, to get out of the struggle, 
But to be in the struggle, when we're fearing, when we're struggling, that's when we're dealing with it. Interesting, Luke 10, when Mary and Martha are sitting, Martha says, hey, uh, tell my sister to uh, get up and help me work. And he says, one thing's required. And she's chose the better half. So often we get busy and that's what brings us to these places of struggle. We get overwhelmed with all that we think we need to be doing. All that we think has to happen. And he says, no, one thing. Just sit here with me. Abide in me and I will provide you the means to do what needs to be done. I will give you the energy you need. I will give you the focus you need. If you'll just take the moment to abide in me. It's not to escape the battle, but to be equipped in the battle. And I think that's really important, that we all are equipped for the battles that we're facing and going to face. Verse 5 says, For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock, and now my head will be lifted up. My enemies around me, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. It's interesting, this section he will he shall hide me and he has hidden me are are there's a tension in the actual translation and i think that tension is intentional that the ambiguity is intentional because it's a future statement as well as a present statement that he will hide me and he has hidden me already I can trust because he's already done the work. And and so that should bring you back to peace. Um, while he's looking forward to the future, his hope is for protection in the present. David is saying when his trouble hits, the best place to be is in the presence of the Lord. When struggles come, that's where we need to be. And when that happens, once we regain that focus, we can celebrate in the midst of the struggle. We can enjoy that God is there and trust him. And it it overcomes all of the things. And it gives us a peace that passes understanding. It gives us a joy that we really would not naturally have when things are not joyous, when things are not fun. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. It's at this point that the, the whole mood of the psalm changes. Be gracious to me and answer me. It becomes a simple prayer. He's come to this point. He says, listen, I've trusted you. Now I need you to come through. 
and it's not just a, a quiet calling out. This is a audible voice expressing his desire. And it's in those vulnerable moments in that time when we really find grace, when we're insecure, and he just comes through and just gives us a peace in that moment. That's where we find joy. But we have to first focus on him. David knew that he needed that grace. And sometimes when we get into pride, we forget that we still need the grace. And then we get into all kinds of things and we think we can do it on our own. And we can't. Because it's not something we can overcome on our own. So we cry out to him. Verse 8 says, When thou didst say, Seek my face, my heart said to thee, Thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Don't abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Who calls first? The Lord said, seek my face. And then he says, I, I am doing that. I am obedient immediately. It's interesting that this call is not just to David. It's to everybody. It's, it's a plural uh, statement. God says, seek my face to everyone. That's what God desires, is all of us to seek after him. And the right response is the response after the Lord's own heart. David says, I'm seeking your face now. Some have suggested that David didn't write the psalm because of this uh, issue, but you know we don't really know what was going on with his parents. Um, they hadn't really abandoned him that we know of. There's no scriptural reference to that. But it may be that the issue is that David's dealing with their death, or he may be just dealing with something that's bigger than his parents can deal with. And that's a reality. You know, we often, when we're younger, uh, look to our parents to, to help us through stuff. And I know for many people when they lose their parents, that support becomes just missing. And it's hard. And so he says, despite that, despite all of that, you're there. The point is, when all others fall short, God's there to meet us with grace and compassion and love. The problem is that we fail Him. And when we do, we live in fear. And the fear is that He's turned away from us. That He's like us. That He's typical human, emotional, fickle, just 
you know, spiteful. That's not God. That's not the Jesus that we know. But that's what we think of him sometimes. That, oh, I've, I've sinned and now he's, he hates me. <laughs> I've done something and I'm rejected. It's in those moments that we need to seek him. We need to admit to whatever it is that we've fallen in and seek his grace. Because he's there for that purpose. He wants to provide grace to you. And in that, we can gain that true peace in the midst of the storm. Verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Knowing that God's faithful, we are not. We need to follow his example. Seeking his leading, being transformed to his image. To do that, we have to submit to his spirit. If we don't, we get lost. We have to have this heart that we need to be taught of the Spirit and of the Lord. If we think we can teach ourselves, do it all on our own, we lose it. And we end up on that shaky path, that uneven, rocky ground that's just hard and troublesome. But as we submit, we're led into that level place. We lose the roller coaster of emotions. We let go of all that. And the reality is, the enemy wants you to stay on the roller coaster of emotions. Because when you're there, when you're in fear, when you're in anxiety, and struggles you're inactive you're ineffective you're not presenting the image of God he wants you to be his imager to overcome but you can't do that alone and so he meets you when you're not overcoming He meets you in that hurt, in that pain, in that struggle. 2 Corinthians says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Always leads us in triumph. I think that's a beautiful statement. But we have to be following to be led. He goes on to say, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's who we're to be. We're to be those in the midst of the situations that God has empowered to trust him struggle through 
but trust him in the midst of it. To overcome the battle and be that picture of a peace that surpasses understanding. And I know that's real easy to say. (laughs) It's another thing to put into action. And the reality, we, we see David struggling all through these psalms, but constantly looking back to God. And I think that's the key. It's okay to struggle. You know, there's a messed up idea in the church that if you struggle, you're really not right. You're, you know, that's the, the prosperity gospel, you know. Oh, God wouldn't let you struggle. He's, he's you know. That's wrong. We're going to struggle. In this world, you will have struggles. That's a guarantee. But I've overcome it. And if you keep your fake focus on me, you keep looking for my face in the midst of the struggle, I will provide you the means to overcome that struggle. Verse 12 says, Do not deliver me over to my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, this is probably prophetic of Jesus. You know, before he's on the cross where people are surrounding him. There's false witnesses giving testimony. And it says he gives no response in Matthew. He just entrusts himself to the Father who allowed his death only to rise to life. God allows a lot of things that when we look at them on the surface seem really messed up. But when we see the real overarching plan it's beautiful he says I would have despaired but instead I believed and so often that's where we need to be when despair comes in we have to trust him some translations add I had fainted to complete this thought, but it's it's actually a broken thought. I would have despaired unless I had believed. As we see the state of the world, it's easy to feel despair. It's easy to lose focus. But we have a hope, a promise of Jesus' return in the future. For a future land of the living. But we're currently in a land of the living. And so that hope is now, not just in the future. While it is pointing to that, for David, he has faith that he will see the goodness of God in this life. Not just with the coming of Messiah. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the the coming of Christ. 
But looking back, as we see how God's overcome and brought us through, that's where we see that. We see the goodness of God in the land of the living as we've overcome, as he's empowered us. Matthew Henry writes, Those who walk by faith in the goodness of the Lord shall in due time walk in the sight of that goodness. It's his comfort, not so much that he shall see the land of the living as he shall see the goodness of God in it. For that is the comfort of all creature comforts to a gracious soul. That's the comfort. That we see him in the land of the living. That we see him today. That he has overcome so much in our lives already. And he's in the midst of bringing you through all kinds of things right now. As you trust him. As you seek him. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The right response to fear is that patient trust. Waiting for the Lord. Interesting, this root word, wait, carries the idea of being twisted and bound together. And so it's not just, you know, I'm in frustration, I'm waiting for God to do something. It's that I have bound myself to his will. And I entrust myself, despite everything else that's coming against me, I am in the midst of it, and I'm overcoming. Because he is my security. He's my means. Confidently entwined in his will. Yielded to him. Encompassing his all-encompassing plan. Seeking his vision, not our own. Seeking his face. Dr. Torner goes on in the book I quoted at the beginning. The Christian is not exempt from fear, but he takes his fear to God. Faith does not suppress fear. What it does is to allow one to go forward in spite of it. In God's presence, we abandon the Stoics' utopia of life without fear. Grace is promised to him who recognizes his weakness and not to him who boasts of his strength. The Bible, with its realistic knowledge of the human heart, repeats 365 times. The words, fear not. It speaks also of the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. Christ, with his psychological insight, knows that there is no life without fear. So what do we do with that? Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not of those who shriek back to destruction, but of those who have faith, to the preservation of the soul. We are to be those of faith in the midst 
allowing him to empower us to overcome. Hebrews 13 says, He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we may have confidence saying, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. That's what his desire is for you. That your fear is overcome in trusting him. Father, we thank you that you are greater than all the things that we're dealing with. You have endured this world. You have overcome it. And you said that we can now be more than conquerors. So Lord, that's what our desire is today. We want to seek your face and pray that we would find you in the land of the living today in the midst of our lives would be empowered by you that we would have a peace that overcomes all understanding so that we can be that aroma of goodness to this world in Jesus name Amen